So if everybody could, just do me a favor right now. How about everybody stand up, and if you could, come to one of these two buckets and just take a stone out of it for me, okay? All right, great. So we're able to follow instructions. That's a good first step. Uh, all right, so uh, my name's John Reed, like Eddie just said, and uh, the sermon text that we're going to be teaching out of today is Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 38. Uh, that can be found on page 755 in your pew Bibles, if you're looking. Uh, I do want to say that before we even start, so much of the material that I'm going to be talking about today is from this book, Forgive and Forget. Um, so it would be just plagiarism if I didn't bring that up. So much of it's coming from this guy, uh, Lewis Smeads, in this book, Forgive and Forget. Um, so we're going to look at that text in just a second. But before we start, I'd love for us to watch this video. So uh, here at Element Church... You guys are starting a sermon series called Last Words. And, and what's going to happen is over the next seven weeks, you will be looking at the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. So today we're going to look at the first of those last words, which is, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But anyway, onto this stone and what it represents. All right, you guys have a stone in your hand, right? Could you lift that stone up in the air for me? Yeah. Now shake it around a little bit. Yeah, we've got a real surly bunch here today. Uh, you know, I was kind of reflecting upon this sermon illustration, and I realized that it's a really dangerous one for me, right? Um, because you literally have in your hands the ability to stone me if you don't like what I have to say. So if at the end of the sermon you don't have to compliment me, if I walk out if you're alive, I'm just going to take that as a sign that things went well today, Right? Uh, so here's what I want you to do with this, this rock. For a second, just kind of focus on it and, and think about it. Feel its maybe rough edges. Then clasp your hand around it and, and just feel the power that comes with clasping your hand around a rock. Now what I want you to do is to think about somebody that you absolutely hate, that you can't stand. This rock is going to represent, for the rest of this sermon, our anger and our hatred towards a particular person. So I want you to hold on to this rock for the rest of this sermon as, as that illustration. And I'm actually going to not hold on to it because sometimes I get animated with my hands and that could just end badly. Uh, but anyway, that's your anger. That's who you hate. And I, I think a lot of us right now maybe are having a level of rebellion in our heart at that thought. Because hate is such a strong word. And if you've been raised as a Christian, you know you're not supposed to hate people. And so maybe you're saying, well, I don't really hate anybody. So let's just talk about a couple different ways that we hate people. The very first 
is to have rage. It's where you are so angry at somebody, you want to be the one who hurts them. You want to take that stone and you want to smash it into their head, right? You're actually kind of hoping that I hand out more stones because one's just not going to be enough for this job. The second type of hatred that we have is called aggressive hatred. Aggressive hatred is when we don't want to hurt the other person, but we do want bad things to happen to them. So, you know, maybe you've had this, your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't want to hurt them, but if they tripped and broke their leg, like, you'd probably smile about that a little bit. That would kind of brighten your day just a little bit. And maybe up to this point, you, you, you don't... Re- you, you don't kind of feel those two forms of hatred. The third one, I, I think it touches upon all of us. I think in some ways we all struggle with this last one. And the last one is a passive form of hatred. So you don't want bad things to happen to somebody else, but you certainly don't want good things to happen to them. So this is when you learn that your ex-husband or wife has found somebody else to love, and you're upset by that fact. Or somebody in your past who's betrayed you, you're okay with them living, but the fact that they have just discovered their dream job, that upsets you and makes you sad. See, I mean, I I struggle so much with this last form of hatred simply because I don't like other people doing better than me in general. But that last form, it really is a form of hatred, isn't it? Because what we're saying is, like, I'm comfortable with your existence so long as you're held down in this bog and you don't try to get better. So I'll ask it again. Who is it that you hate? We can continue to clarify. You could hate somebody that you also love at the same time. Maybe your husband or wife or children or parents. You, you love them most of the time, but when you think of one thing that that person did to you, you boil with rage. And so it's possible to hate somebody who you also love at the same time. It's possible to hate somebody who's currently dead, who you never had that chance to reconcile things to, and you're still angry with them right now. It's even possible, and maybe this is the saddest category of all, it's it's possible to hate yourself, where that stone, that anger, is being held against yourself. And it's my hope and my prayer that by the end of this sermon, you would let go of that stone so that you'd stop beating yourself with it. I would hope that through what I talk about, you discover that that's not godly hatred for yourself. That's not giving God glory at all. And maybe one last thing. Maybe the person you're most angry at, the person that you have hatred towards, is God himself. And when we look at what God has done for us today, the way that he has forgiven us. I really do hope that you could let go of that anger that you have towards God and just worship him and be grateful for what he's done. So the topic for today is forgiveness, as you've probably put together. And we're going to look at this text and we're going to look at what God has done for us. And by looking at that, we're going to have it teach us about how we are supposed to live our lives. So right now, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 38. And if you could, please stand up with me, just as a sign of reverence for the Holy Spirit who has inspired today's word. So Luke 23, 32 to 
38. Two others who were criminals were also led away with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots, and they divided his clothes. And the people stood and stared. And the rulers scoffed, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers they mocked. They brought him sour wine, offering it to him, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And there was an inscription over his head that said, This is the king of the Jews. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So the sermon title for today is Forgiveness. It's for your good and for God's glory. We're going to look at what forgiveness means for us. And one of the things that we're going to look at is just a number of different objections that people raise sometimes about forgiveness or difficulties that we come upon in the area of forgiving in general. So the first thing that we're, we're, we're brought up as we look at this text, in verses 32 and 33, we look at the beginning of Jesus' crucifixion. We look at him going to the cross. You know, this is our Savior going to the cross. Whenever somebody is on their deathbed, it's, it's an incredibly sacred moment. We are entering into holy ground and so we need to give ourselves time to prepare for this, to make sure that we, we are of right spirit. And you can imagine that if these are the last words of Jesus, typically when somebody is dying and they, they say last words, that maybe these are the most important words that that person could ever say. So we, we need to pay extra attention. When we reflect upon the cross, we see just how amazing God's love is for us. Because in eternity past, Jesus Christ was God himself. And then he came down to this earth and he walks among us. And let me tell you, if Jesus Christ came and he was placed in the most powerful, most well-respected king and queen of all time, if he was placed in that castle, it still would have been the greatest act of humiliation for Jesus to come down from heaven and be brought down to earth. Because there is no castle in all the world that is worthy of Jesus Christ. There is no kingdom that is good as our heavenly kingdom. So that would have been an incredible act of humiliation. But Jesus didn't come as royalty. He came as nobody. He came as somebody who was totally unknown into a poor family. He lived an absolutely perfect life. He did nothing wrong to everybody or to anybody. And here we see, we look at him going to the cross, and we realize that this completely and totally innocent man is going to be put to death. And if you have any righteousness in your heart at all, that should cause your blood to boil with righteous anger. This is wrong. This should not have happened to Jesus Christ. And we want to do something about it, but we can't. It was God's will that Jesus would die so that we could ultimately be forgiven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. 
See, Jesus in his innocence took our evil and he replaced himself with it. And I hope that when we reflect upon the cross, that first it causes us to hate our sin. That we, we don't like the fact that we have done evil things and it, it causes us to abhor those things that we have done. But more importantly, I really hope that it causes us to be grateful for what God has done for us. That he has gone to such extraordinary lengths to free us from our sins. And so when we look at the cross, this is what's supposed to happen. When we continue to think about the cross, we see that there are really three different things that can cause us to hate somebody else. And maybe you could identify for yourself which one of these three things are, is causing and driving your anger right now. So the first thing is disloyalty. Disloyalty is any time when a friend or loved one treats you like a stranger. Jesus Christ felt disloyalty when Peter said three times in a row, I don't know that man. When Jesus was being put on trial, Peter totally denied having any relationship with Jesus at all. The second area that might cause hatred is betrayal. And that's when somebody we love treats us like an enemy. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' other friends, one of his other disciples, he actually led the people who ended up killing Jesus to Jesus. He betrayed Jesus, and Jesus died because of that. Our Savior knows betrayal. And then the last category is just brutality. And that's when any time any person treats you with less dignity than a human deserves. And I got to tell you, there's nothing more brutal than the crucifixion. It was the very worst way that somebody could die. I, I brought just something to illustrate the br brutality of that. My wife and I had the honor of getting to go to the Holy Land, to, to go to Israel. And uh, we went to this one area that had these bushes. And what we were told was it was these bushes that were used to put the crown of thorns upon Jesus' head. And I, I think a lot of us, when we, we picture the crown of thorns, we think like a couple rose thorns. But this right here is a thorn from the thorn bush that was used upon Jesus. And if you look, it's actually wider than my, my wrist is wide. These thorns are, are so powerful, we were told, that they can literally penetrate through bone. And there is a possibility that Jesus actually went to his death with some level of brain damage as these thorns penetrated his skull. The crown of thorns was honestly the, the gentlest aspect of his crucifixion. And, and when we look at this, we, we see just how brutal that aspect was. And so Jesus knows all these potential reasons to have hatred. It's disloyalty, betrayal, and brutality. It really, for us, kind of raises up the first objection that sometimes we have to forgiving others. And that objection is, isn't forgiving somebody simply saying that evil's okay? Like, we're just kind of giving them a buy on the fact that they've done something wrong and something evil. And I mean, I got to tell you, when we look at the cross, there's nothing but evil here. Like, this, this should bother us when we look at this scene. Jesus is well aware that what's being done to him is evil and it's wrong. 
He's not under any illusions. He's not pretending that this is okay. This is evil men doing evil things to him. But yet, he still forgives. It's wild. And if we're going to, to forgive, there, there are going to be a couple of different stages in forgiveness. And the very first stage of being able to forgive somebody else is to simply recognize that evil has been done to you. That you see that what they did to you is just plain wrong. And you admit that to yourself. Because of this, this first step of forgiveness, I've gotten in the habit in my personal life to say when somebody has done something wrong to me, I say to them, I forgive you for that. Like, I, I will say that out loud to them. Because I think what happens so often is we kind of want to let them off the hook. And we want to pretend that things weren't done, that were wrong. And so we say all different other kinds of things other than I forgive you. We say, oh, it's okay. No big deal. You know, those things are pretending that what was wrong is okay. But when you say, I forgive you, what you're saying is, I recognize the fact that you did something wrong to me, but I am not going to repay what you did to me. With me, the cycle of revenge is going to end, and our future is not going to be dictated by what you did in the past. I'm going to move on in this relationship, and I'm not going to hold against you the thing that you did to me. So there is a recognition that something evil has been done when you say those words, I forgive you. The second step to being able to forgive somebody is to reflect upon why it is that that bothers you so much that something was done to you. Now, sometimes, like, things are just so heinously evil that there's no reason to really reflect at all. It's just so wrong that it's just obviously a, a bad thing. But I think a lot of the times when we get into like, conflicts with a friends and family member, what happens is they'll say something and, yeah, they cross the line. But the reason why it's such a struggle to let go of that pain and let go of that bitterness is because they said something or did something that touched upon your insecurities. And it kind of rocked your own sense of self-identity. So to illustrate this, somebody comes along and maybe tells you you're overweight and fat. And that bothers you. You hold on to that. Because for so long, you have been holding on to this image of beauty and thinking that that is important in your life. And you haven't been trying to find the beauty of Christ in your life. Or maybe somebody who you've had a really deep relationship leaves and you can't seem to get over the pain and the bitterness of that. It might be because you are trying to look for satisfaction and happiness in that relationship. And somewhere along the way, you stop looking for your satisfaction in Christ. If you see, you can use those times in conflict where somebody does something that causes bitterness in your heart. You can use those as a way of refining your soul so that you are more like Christ. It's the, this principle of iron sharpening iron that the evil that somebody intended for you, God can use that for your good. So it's possible for you when you reflect upon that to realize like, oh, in that one area, I haven't really been focusing on Christ. And maybe you can go to him to find some healing there. So we have these two first steps. Recognize that evil was done to you. And then the second step is to reflect upon that evil and why it bothers you so much. Let's now turn 
to verse 35 and see how Jesus responds to those two things. And we've said it a couple times now. His response to the evil that he's seeing is to say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And I got to tell you, like, this, this right here is one of the reasons, like, this statement is one of the reasons why I love Jesus so deeply. Because if you look at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 5, he's standing on a mountaintop preaching to a crowd of thousands of people. And he says to them, you have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, it's really easy to look like a good guy when you are in front of thousands of adoring fans. Like, you can put on that cloak of righteousness and play a pretty good game. But when you're up on the cross, when you're hanging there dying, and you're still the righteous man that you were in that sermon, that is a level of integrity that I have never seen before in my entire life. And it helps me to have confidence that I can look to Jesus Christ as my moral example. This is a man that I can follow because whether he's in front of the crowd or he's up on the cross, Christ is always the same. He's always that same person, and you can trust in him. So we're, we're looking at the cross, and we, we come to find the last two rules of forgiveness or the last two steps to uh, forgiving other people. The, the third one, we've kind of mentioned it before, is um, to, to simply say, I forgive you. We, we talked about that already. It's, it's important to verbalize it almost as much for yourself as it is for the other person because by saying it, you're actually hearing yourself say those words, I forgive you. And then the last step is to actually pray for that person, to pray for your enemy, to lift them up to God. And that's really what this statement, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, that's Jesus praying for the people who are around them. And listen to how radical this is. Jesus is praying that God would forgive them so ultimately all the people that are around him would go with him to heaven. These people are putting him through an earthly hell. And all the while, Jesus is praying for them heaven. This is wild. I mean, we we don't see this in the world. This is something that is totally unique to Jesus and who he was as our God and Savior, and as a man. It does, however, raise up another question, and, and, and I think a, an opposition that sometimes a lot of us might have is, is, is this statement, you would never ask me to forgive if you knew what that other person did to me. The reality is I, I really don't know what the background is to that stone that you're holding, and I, I've been a pastor long enough to know that even in a crowd that's a little bit small, this size, there are a couple of you here today that have just wild stories of awful abuse that you grew up into of every kind. Some of you still have the scars of physical abuse that you've received. Some, some of us can't even look at the mirror without feeling disgust because those voices of hatred in our head fill our minds as we look at ourselves. And, you know, I don't even really want to talk about sexual abuse, but, I, you know, I, I've 
seen that as a pastor, and I've walked alongside people and all of that. It's important for you to realize that I'm not the one asking you today to forgive. This is your Savior, Jesus Christ, who's asking for you to forgive. And all of those different forms of abuse, Jesus Christ had to suffer himself. On his way to the cross, they stripped him down naked, and they humiliated and ridiculed him and, and made fun of him. Like, that's, that's sexual abuse. On the cross, they mocked him. They attacked him. That's emotional abuse. And like we've said, the cross is the very worst form of physical abuse. The cross for us and what Jesus suffered on it is a picture of every single form of abuse that you could ever imagine. And Jesus bears all those things, every single one of them, all the betrayal, the disloyalty, the brutality, all of those things, he bears them up, and his response is, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's who our Savior is. And he calls you into that forgiving relationship as well. So Jesus says this, he forgives them, Let's look at the response of the people. How do the people respond to Jesus' forgiveness? Verses 35 to 38. Jesus says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And what do the people do? They cast lots and they divide his clothes. (sighs) This, for those people, Jesus' crucifixion was a game. Right, they're playing a dice game at the feet of all of this pain. They're dividing up his clothes. This this is a form of entertainment, and they didn't think any more of the brutality than we would turning on a television and watching a violent movie. This was nothing but fun for them. And so the reality is they didn't give a rip if Jesus forgave them or not. They could care less. And if you look at the text... Jesus forgiving these people, it actually opens him up to more ridicule because now the rulers are casting insults against him. Like, why don't you go save yourself, Jesus? Or or the soldiers, you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They stand there mocking him as Jesus is trying to forgive them. It raises for us another thing that comes against this idea of forgiveness. Sometimes we say, I would be willing to forgive that other person if they would just apologize. You know, it would be wonderful if in this world, every time somebody wrongs us, they, they come back and they apologize for it. But the reality is a lot of times that's not going to happen. That's not always going to be the case. And so your responsibility is for what's going on in your heart. It's not for what the other person is doing. The ultimate goal of forgiveness is, yeah, it's, it's reconciling and being in a relationship again with that other person. But you can't control that other person's actions. And so sometimes the best thing that we can do and the, the most righteous thing that we can do in this situation is to forgive them in, the, in our hearts and to continue to pray for them when we get angry at them again. Sometimes that's the best that we can do. Because the reality is there are people who are going to hurt you and you forgive them, but they don't change their ways. They're going to continue to be abusive. They're going to continue to hurt you. And the realization is that maybe it's not safe for you to be in a relationship with them. You know, if if the other person's an alcoholic and you can forgive them, but they don't change their ways, 
it's, it's dangerous and painful for you to go back into a relationship with them. Or maybe your parents were abusive to you. You can forgive them for that, but the reality is it still might be dangerous for you to bring your own child in front of them because they're still that angry person that they were back in the day. So yeah, we can forgive people. And the hope is that reconciliation will happen and we'll be in a perfect relationship with them again. But that's not always the case. And so our, our, our job is to just take the first step and forgive them for that. When we look at the cross and all the people that are, and all, what all the people are doing around the cross as they're gazing upon Christ, this is a picture of what each and every one of us were like before we came to, before we came to know Jesus Christ. At some point in your life, maybe it was when you were a little kid, we were all that person that just shook their fists at God and cursed his name. We were just like these people putting Jesus Christ up on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10 say something very important. But God shows us his, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more are we reconciled now that we are saved by his, uh, saved by his life? Like, look at those words, while we were still enemies. My point is this, God took the initiative in this forgiving relationship. You didn't apologize to him first. He forgave you before you even had that thought in your mind to go to apologize to them. And so if we really believe that fact, it should reflect in our life by the fact that we forgive even when people don't apologize to us. Because we want to show that to the world. Another thought with this is, if you're here today, and you really want to be in a relationship with Jesus, and you want this relationship with God, you want to spend eternity in heaven with him, but I, I know there's probably one or two people here who are just saying, God can never forgive me for the things that I've done. I got to tell you, God's already forgiven you. Like that, that's over. He, he paid your debt on the cross. All he's asking of you now is just trust that fact that his son died for you. He's asking you to come home and just be in relationship with him. That's what he's calling you to. Just trust the fact that he's forgiven you. We've looked at three objections so far. And we come to the very last objection. And for me, this one is the one that I struggle with most. This is what causes me to hold on to bitterness. And this objection is forgiveness just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. Like, why shouldn't that person be punished for what they do? And that's why I kind of hold on to that rock, why I hold on to that anger. There's a story I, I read, um, a man named Simon Weisenthal. He was a, a Jewish man who lived during World War II. And he got placed in a concentration camp. So you can imagine all the, the evil, the starvation, the death, and all of those things. He had to suffer through that in the concentration camp. This man, Weisenthal, his job in the camp was to pick up garbage in uh, a hospital that serviced wounded soldiers who were coming back from the German fronts. One day, Weisenthal, he was picking up the garbage, and out of nowhere, a nurse came 
grabbed him and rushed him off to one of the soldiers' rooms. And he entered into that room, and on the bed was a man named Carl. Carl happened to be an SS soldier. And if you know anything about that, the SS were the very epitome of all things evil to the Jewish people. On, on Carl's head was a bandage, and it was yellow, and it was pussy, and it was clear that Carl was going to die from these wounds. He wasn't going to get better. Carl, Carl opened his eyes, and he, he grabbed Weisenthal by the hand so he couldn't get away, and he said, I need to talk to a Jew. I've done many evil things, and I need to confess them. And so Carl, he starts telling about his kind of life story, and he ends with this last story. He, he says, we entered into a Polish town, and we gathered up 200 Jewish people, and we pushed them all into a house. We locked all the doors, and then I took many gallons of gasoline, and I doused that house in gasoline, and I took a match, and I lit that house on fire, and I stood there, and I watched those people burn to death. I watched as clothing caught on fire and burned the people that were inside those pieces of clothing. And I watched as one father trying to do something about this situation, he grabbed his wife and he grabbed his child, and then he ran up the stairs and jumped out the window. I watched him hit the ground. I continued to watch as he got up to try to get away. And because it was my job to make sure that nobody left the scene, I lifted up my submachine gun and I mowed that man down. He looked at Weisenthal, and he said, I, I, I've done so many evil things. Can, can you forgive me? I know I have no right to ask for this, but can you, can you forgive me for what I've done? Simon Weisenthal, he, he sat there, and he stared at this man. <coughs> he stared for a moment, and he got up, and he left the room without saying a single word. That soldier, Carl, he died totally unforgiven by men. Some years later, uh, Weisenthal, he wrote his memo in, in a, a book called The Sunflower. And he, he retells this story, and he asks a question right at the end that's meant to inspire thought in, in the people that read it. He asks the question, it's this, what would you have done? I'll ask you, church, if you were in that situation and you were wise in thought, what would you have done? When I, I first read that, I mean, I'm not terribly proud of my gut reaction, but when I, I, I read that, the first thing I thought was I would have told them to go burn. You know, that, that would have been my response. Like, seriously? You cause nothing but death, mayhem, and destruction. And, and you do all these things. You destroy people's lives, and you want in your last seconds of life to be comforted by me? Like, are you kidding? What right do you even have to ask that? That's what was going on in my heart when he asked that question, what would you do? You know, I, I don't know that my first response would have been godly, but I do hope that over time I would have been able to forgive, even in that situation. You know, this, this objection, forgiveness just doesn't seem fair. There's, there's something about holding on to our anger 
that seems like we're doing justice. It, it seems so right to hate somebody. It seems so right to hold on to the anger. Because, you know, maybe we can't do anything to that person, but there's one way that we can hurt them, and that's to simply be angry at them. If we hold on to this, at least a little bit of justice is going to be had by holding on to this anger. And we, we hold on to it, and we feel comforted by it. But yet Jesus still looks at that anger, and he says, I want you to forgive that person. So what gives us the ability to have such radical forgiveness? What gives us this ability to do what God asks of us? The Christian ability to forgive somebody who has wronged them, it's found in the power of the cross. What Jesus did on the cross is God's way of once and for all ensuring that every single evil thing that will ever be done gets punished. This is where perfect justice and perfect mercy meet together. And so God says either their sin will be punished by unrepentant sin, I will punish them with my wrath, or Jesus will be punished for their evil. And so the cross is God's assurance that justice is going to be done. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20 say, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather rely on God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you heap burning coals upon his head. That idea of heaping burning coals upon his head is you are placing the judgment of that person upon themselves. You are showing them God's mercy and God's love. So now they know that they have an option. They could either turn to God or they can turn away. So the judgment's now on them. And that's the power. That's the ability that we have to forgive. We don't need to be in the revenge business because God is in the justice business. He's ensured that evil will be destroyed at the end of time. One final thought. You might have thought it a little vulgar for me to say you, you can burn for that. And, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Um, <clears throat> I, I would even agree with you. And not so much that because I was referencing hell, but the reason why that's so vulgar is because when we hold on to our judgment, just judgment and our anger, when we hold on to those things, we are taking God off of his throne and we're putting ourselves upon it and we're casting down judgments. We're putting our place in the place of God and we're pretending to be him. And that's the worst of vulgarities. And the reality is so long as you hold on to your anger and your bitterness, the reality is you are saying to that person, you can go burn for what you did because you aren't teaching them anything about the forgiveness that can be found in God. And the real tragedy is, when you hold on to that anger and that bitterness, you are connecting yourself to that person. Their fate then becomes your fate. Because the reality is, you're defining yourself by their sins. Your thoughts are being controlled by their sins. Instead of allowing yourself to be identified and defined by Christ and his perfection, his beauty and his ways, you're allowing yourself to be de defined by bitterness. And that's an ugly thing. That is not a good trade for any Christian to have. 
And so I ask of you, for your good and for God's glory, to let go of that, ev- that anger and to just say, I forgive you, and then to pray for that person who's wounded you. What I'm going to do in a second is I'm, I'm going to give you a couple more instructions. Um, but what I'd like to do right now is I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll kind of explain what I'd like to happen, okay? So if you could bow your heads with me. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, forgiveness is sometimes the most difficult thing for any disciple to do. And I know the anger and the rage that it could be, it, that could be raging in our hearts right now as, as we seek to forgive. Lord, I pray that we look upon the cross and we realize what you did for us, that you forgave us long before anybody could have ever wronged us. And Lord, I pray that we can trust in your power to forgive because we know that at the end, justice is going to be had for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for this church here today. I hope that through your power, they're able to walk out of here without having to carry that burden in their heart anymore, that they could walk away freed of this, this thing that rages in their hearts. We love and praise you. In your son's name, amen. Um, so what's going to happen right now is uh, Chad's going to play a little instrumental music for a couple of seconds, for about a minute maybe. <coughs> what I'd like for you to do is just spend that time reflecting upon the anger that you have and just praying for that person, just saying in your heart, I, I forgive you. And if you have to say it out loud, that, that would be beautiful as well. I, I forgive you for what you've done. And then I'm going to move these buckets so that they're at the foot of the cross over there. If you can honestly say that you've forgiven that person, I would love for you to take that anger and drop it at the feet of the cross because that's what God has done for us when he forgave us. So just take a moment now and, and pray and think about the anger that you're holding on to right now.